Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Like a classic, It's a Wonderful Life, Miracle on 34th Street, something more recent, Elf, Home Alone, a lot of people my age like those. Maybe your choice is controversial and you like to debate. My brother, for example, is an apologist for Die Hard is a Christmas movie (laughs) position. I'm wondering if you have one of those in your family. I'm wondering if you are that person. (laughs) My choice is shamelessly sentimental, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Have you seen it? Everyone's seen it. There's a skating ring, a Christmas pageant, a killer soundtrack. The highlight is when Charlie Brown, from the depths of his five-year-old soul, asked if there is anyone who knows what Christmas is all about. And Linus Van Pelt replies, sure, Charlie Brown, I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And then he proceeds to read a portion of the Gospel of Luke that we just heard, albeit from an older translation. And there were shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. The angel said unto them, Fear not. If you watch carefully, Linus drops his blue security blanket at that moment. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I love the line, they were sore afraid. Our translation says they were terrified. In the original language, it's it's actually two words, phobia, fear, and mega, which means greatly or, or magnified. The shepherds were megaphobic, terrified, sore, afraid. There are no less than eight references to fear in the first two chapters of Luke's gospel, which tells the Christmas story in full. You might say the advent of fear And its abolition by joy is the emotional arc of the story of Jesus' birth. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he spoke to this. He said, the coming of God is glad tidings, but first of all, it's frightening news for everyone who has a conscience. This evening, I want to talk about fear and its relationship to faith. I believe that God makes it possible for us to be brave, to not live under fear. And God does so by enabling us to believe and hear well. I want to say a brief word about each. First, something about believing well. One of my favorite activities over the last month has been walking my dog at the beginning or end of the day. There's a creek near my house with a trail alongside of it covered uh, with a canopy, really, of old oak trees. We've been uh, preaching through Isaiah in the weeks leading up to Christmas on Sundays. And the promised Messiah, Jesus, is often likened in Isaiah to a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, a branch that will bear much fruit. Tonight, though, 
to get at this idea about fear and how fear can be overcome, I want to focus not just on the tree, but also on the earth that enclosed its roots. The ground from which the tree climbed and branched in the sky. In other words, if we want to understand what Jesus and his birth means for us fully, we would be well served by paying a little bit of attention to the person who brought him into this world, Mary, his mother. Mary bookends our gospel reading, and we're, I'm going to get to that in a moment. But we first meet her in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of her cousin Elizabeth's pregnancy, we're told, God sends the angel Gabriel to deliver a similar piece of news to her. Mary will bear a child, name him Jesus. God will give him the throne of David. He will rule forever, world without end. Mary, her initial response to this bizarre announcement is fear. She's anxious. She's distressed. She's greatly troubled, the Bible says. Who can blame her? What are people going to say or do about a young girl who is pregnant and not by her husband? We know, of course, how the story ends, but Mary didn't. There was no iPhone on hand to Google incarnation. <laughs> she was in the dark. But Mary wasn't arrested by her fear. She kept her feet moving, Peter said on Sunday. How, she asks, will this be? How? There's a, a quote on the front of your bulletin. You don't look at it. I learned that lesson. Uh, 10, okay, you can look at it. I hear the, I hear the papers turn. Uh, 10,000 difficulties do not make one doubt. 10,000 fears do not add up to a single doubt. What does that mean? It means this. There is fear fueled and exaggerated by unbelief, and there is fear that is encountered and embraced and transformed by faith. And there is a profound difference between those two things. You may have great difficulty in understanding how God will keep his promise to you. How, despite all the circumstances that suggest the contrary, God will stay true to his word for you. This makes sense. We're finite. We see through a glass darkly. There is a lot we do not know. We may have 10,000 difficulties in understanding how God will keep the promise. But we do not doubt that God will. We believe that no word from God Will ever fail. Mary demonstrates that kind of faith. And we see that in her famous fiat that closes the story. I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Mary was confronted with a situation that required a trust in God far beyond human comprehension, one author writes. She gave her answer simply, utterly unconscious 
of the greatness of her act. Let it be. You might be thinking, is that what faith is? Let it be? Is that what God asked me to do in the face of my poor health, my broken marriage, my eternal singleness, my disappointing job, my unemployment, my crushing debt, my compulsive eating, my eating disorder? Let it be? Resign myself to all the things that are wrong in my life? No, that's fatalism, not faith. Faith is entrusting yourself to a God who has proved trustworthy and then being free to do something about your problems. Faith is believing with your eyes open. It's not blind, it's not passive. It doesn't deny the reason for fear, but it does reject its hegemony. And that kind of faith, friends, feels like a choice. And I'm wondering how many of you have been at that intersection. Am I gonna believe or am I gonna live in fear? I've been there. My wife and I have had pretty significant challenges and losses related to having kids. And in the aftermath of that, almost unconsciously, I began to view life through a prism of disappointment. All I could see is what I didn't have. All I could focus on is what I was missing. 10,000 difficulties became one major doubt. Is God trustworthy? Is God going to lead me to a good place? Or is it all sadness and frustration and disappointment in the end? I needed therapy and an outside voice encouraging me to reject the rule of fear, to say 10,000 difficulties do not need to add up to a doubt. You may have trouble understanding how. You may not know how God will do it, but you can believe that God will prove faithful, that God will come through for you. You have showed me great troubles and adversities, we say to God in Psalm 71 but you will restore my life and bring me up again from the deep places of the earth. Mary made a truth, made a choice to believe that. And I wanna say it's her faith, her very human heroic faith that makes her so integral to the Christian story. She's the standard for believing well. That's point one. Point two is how do we get there? So something about hearing well. I've heard it said that Mary became the mother of our Lord through her ear. That is to say, she believed so well, she embraced her vocation so fearlessly because she heard so well. I want to look at the last 10 verses or so of our gospel reading with this question in mind. How do I hear from God? How do I hear from God? There's a lesson here, but it's very easy to miss. The shepherds are the main characters in this part of the story. They saw the angel, they listened to the heavenly Gloria, and they met Joseph and Mary and little baby Jesus. Now look with me at verse 17 in your bulletin. After all that, the text says, they spread the word 
concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. So you following what happened? The shepherd saw this crazy stuff. And then they spread the word about what they had seen to presumably people in Bethlehem. And the people were amazed, it says. What's this about? Well, I think Luke is telling us something about how to hear well. Can you accept there's a difference between hearing someone and hearing someone well? I suggest this distinction plays itself out in our most important relationships all of the time. (laughs) Something happens to us and it surprises us and our family or our friend or maybe even our boss says, why is that surprising? I've been telling you this would happen. Were you listening? Did you hear me? The sound waves traveled into my ear canal. I may have even acknowledged what you said, but did I take it in? Did I consider its implications? No. I heard you, but I didn't hear you well. I want to say something similar can happen in our relationship with God. We can hear from God, but we cannot hear from God well. How do we avoid it? Well, there's two things, two important things I want to say. The first thing is do not miss the ordinariness of, in the ordinary ways in which God speaks. Most of the time, God speaks to us in a very ordinary way, in a way that's very easy to miss. This happens in our story, right? The shepherds, they got the angels. Everybody else, they got the shepherds. I have never seen an angel of the Lord, but my guess is that it's pretty impressive. My guess is that it wasn't hard to pay attention when the sky opened up and a great great company of the heavenly hosts began to sing. But most people saw nothing of the kind. They just heard about it from the shabbiest, most non-scholarly people around, shepherds. And they're the ones who delivered God's word. Do you know what that reminds me of? I'll tell you what it reminds me of. (laughs) Think about the authors of the Bible. Moses, Ezekiel, Isaiah, Daniel, Peter, Paul, most of the people who wrote what we have in our Bible witnessed the most fantastic events. They saw spectacular stuff. It's not hard to pay attention when God splits the Red Sea open or someone rises from the dead. But what do we get? We get a book, a book. Guess what? Books can be boring. It's easy to not pay attention to a book. It's easy to get lost. It's very ordinary. You have to ask questions. You have to read it. You have to take time. But God speaks in ways that are very ordinary, in ways that are very easy to ignore. Don't miss it. That's the first lesson. The second is more positive, and it's it's a model for for hearing well. What, What hearing well looks like. In verse 19, we're told that Mary treasured up all the things the shepherds told her and pondered them in her heart. I love that Mary, when the shepherds told her what they had seen, said, I got to listen to you guys. I already had my angel. No, Mary listened to what they said. She treasured and pondered what they said. What does that mean? To ponder or to treasure. Well, to ponder something is to, to think about it to examine it, to put it in context. How does this fit into everything else I know about how the world works? How does this connect to my life? We have a lot of philosophy PhD students at Church of the Cross. This is what they do. 
They ponder. It's, in, it's reason. It's an intense mental discipline. It's very important. God wants us to use our minds and question and investigate what he's doing and how it makes sense to us. But to treasure something is different. You, you treasure a plant by watering it. You keep it alive. To treasure is to relish. It's to savor. It describes patient interior engagement. Mary thought very carefully about what the angels told her, but she also felt it very deeply. She let the message go all the way down until its reality was impressed upon her heart. Now, if you take one practical thing away from what I'm saying tonight, I want you to take away this. You play a role in determining whether you hear from God well. Jesus told a very famous parable about scattering seed on different types of soil. Same seed, different types of soil. We play a role in whether or not we hear from God well. And it is easy to hear and not hear. It is easy to quickly affirm, yeah, yeah, I know, I believe this stuff, but not ponder and treasure. It's easy to be like the crowd in Bethlehem. It's hard to be like Mary. It's easy to listen to a 20-minute sermon and say, eh, okay. It's hard to sit down with God's word, the ordinary, mundane word, and consider it, ponder it, savor it, bring its truth to bear upon your heart. But I promise you the reward for doing so is immense. It's life-changing. It is the best Christmas present you could ask for. It's the antidote to fear, and it can be yours. You can believe well, and you can do so by hearing well. Nothing is impossible with God. This feels to me like a different type of Christmas Eve message. The amount of exhortation, candidly, makes me kind of uncomfortable. But, you know, this is what I got to say. I am am jealous for you tonight. Jealous, of course, that you would celebrate with abandon the birth of Jesus. But I am jealous that you would allow the power of the incarnation to penetrate your life so that you could drop the blanket and say, fear not. That, friends, is what Christmas is all about. Let me pray for us. Gracious God, we thank you for the celebration of tonight. We thank you for the invitation to believe, to ponder, and to treasure. Grant us that kind of faith and grant us such ears to hear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.